0: to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founder and creative director of Swish, Sally Obermeter. Sally Obermeter always wanted a job that would allow her to have a chat, which is why she abandoned her early ambitions of a career in dentistry in favor of a role in finance. After a decade in investment banking, Sally realised that her heart wasn't in it and decided to take a leap of faith in the direction of an industry she'd long dreamt of working in – television. Sally spent close to four years training, learning, applying and auditioning for work as a television presenter – And despite being told by a teacher that she would 100% never get a job in television, she eventually landed her dream job, a presenting role that saw her interview upwards of 200 international celebrities and become one of Australia's most recognisable television personalities. Everything Changed in 2011 At 40 weeks pregnant, Sally was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. She gave birth the next day and commenced chemotherapy when her first daughter was one week old. Sally's experience can't be minimised to a three-minute podcast intro, so I'll allow you to listen for yourself. However, I would like to take this opportunity to thank Sally again for sharing her story. Sally, of course, recovered, and she took the time to decide what she wanted to do next. She returned to television. However, she wanted to do something more, something that would allow her and her sister, Maha, to work together. The pair launched Swish as a blog in October 2012 and later began working on a book together. Not one publisher elected to back said book, so the pair self-published. That book, Super Green Smoothies, went to number one overnight, is still number one in its category, and has since been republished 20 times. The success of the book saw Sally and Maha transform Swish into an e commerce destination, with the pair eventually developing their own brand of wellness supplements. Today, The Swish brand consists of 12 supplements, a topical beauty range, and a clothing line, all of which are shipped to over 70 countries worldwide. In this conversation, Sally shares the freedom that comes with not needing approval from others in pursuit of your dreams, her experience with cancer and the reality of accepting that you may not survive, and how Taylor Swift has earned her some serious popularity points on the home front. You had a number of different careers before you entered the beauty industry, but I want to rewind right back to the very, very beginning. So to start, what is your earliest memory of beauty?
1: I think it would be probably my mum, obviously, um, with a Nivea. I think Uh that's probably one of my first memories of, and it's such a, even when I still see um, that old Nivea bottle, like sort of tub, you know, with the blue that they used to have, um, that for me just straight away reminds me of my mum. And my mum would always, for her, Um, If kind of the earlier part of my childhood, she was a stay-at-home mum. So once my sister was born, she was a stay-at-home mum. And um, I still remember her getting what I would now call kind of dressed up for the day, even though kind of she sort of had technically kind of nowhere to go. But for her beauty and just like doing her hair and, you know, putting on mascara and putting on face cream and whatever was something she did for herself. It wasn't because she was going out, you know, and so that for me is a very distinct sort of association between looking after yourself and beauty. That's just how how I saw my mum every day. You know, she wasn't going anywhere other than like from her bedroom to the kitchen or from her bedroom to the laundry, but she
0: did it for herself.
1: That's how I remember it.
0: I love that. I had this conversation recently about how I think from the outside for people that aren't super heavily involved in beauty, it can kind of look as as this kind of superficial thing. But for all of us that are in it, for the vast majority of us, it's for the feeling of it.
1: Absolutely. And she did it for her. She Mm. wasn't because she was trying to, you know, kind of look, you know, in inverted commas, pretty for my dad. It wasn't like she was trying to look. It was for no one other than for herself. And that was a really,
0: I think, a really great introduction to beauty. Really solid. I love that. Now, I know that you studied... Commerce and worked in finance before you moved into television. But what did you want to be when you grew up? Was a spot on TV always the dream or was it quite different?
1: Yeah, I had a few things. I wanted to be a dentist originally. I am okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> which I know not many people actually want to be a dentist, but I really want to be a dentist. And, um, and then I remember going to do work experience. I think it must have been in year 10 at, with my um, local dentist, this beautiful woman. And then when I was there for the week, I thought, Oh, I just, this isn't for me because you can't talk to anyone because I love a chat, right? Yes. And so there, of course, they like, oh, they got their mouth open and you can't speak to anyone. So after that, after that week, it was a very valuable working experience because I was like, this is not right for me. What else do I really love? I love talking. And I did, I wanted to either be on TV and I used to remember, I would practice my homework um, as if I was on TV, you know, so I would, I would kind of rote learn these things as if I was kind of presenting, so to speak, you know, the news or whatever it was. So I kind of want to be on TV. I also wanted to be a fashion editor at a magazine. Like mm-hmm. I used to look at like Cosmo and Cleo and Dolly back then I was like, Oh my God, I want to work in, in the, in the fashion department. Um, so they were big things. I want to be a real estate agent. So that was, I sort of kind of flitted around. I had no sort of die hard thing other than I loved people and I loved to talk, you know? Um, but then I followed, um, my parents talked me out of all of these, uh, flitty, um, what they felt were (laughs) unsafe and unstable careers. And they were like, why don't you just go? they were both accountants. And, um, why don't you do accounting? It's super steady and it's real and there's always a job. And and so I was like, okay, okay, that's fine. I'll do that. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you know, part of me actually loved it because I it wasn't like I did did uni and then was like, no, this isn't for me. I actually loved it. And look, and I still I'm crazy for a spreadsheet. I still am a very much a numbers person. Um and it stood me in good stead. And I did do a decade in in investment banking and in finance before I then was like, Yeah actually, uh, my heart's actually not a hundred percent in this, you know, I'm going to try something else.
0: So what was it specifically that made you want to leave your role in investment banking? Was there like a light bulb moment or was it just coming to that realization that you didn't love it so much anymore? Yeah,
1: I, I, I kind of, I think for a few years, hadn't loved it so much anymore, but, but, but ultimately I was afraid I was afraid to take this kind of leap into the unknown and I think we become so conditioned to do what's in inverted commas right you Mm -hmm. know so it's like you know get a job work your way up into this job and almost sometimes I think the more entrenched you become in something the harder it is to leave because you're more invested right it's like Mm -hmm. I've worked my way up my pay has gone up my title is better my super has gone up it's like you've got a team you've got people so it's like If you were going to leave, why would you leave at the, you know, kind of when you've done so much work and you're a decade in and you've kind of gotten, you know, I wouldn't say to the top, but you're certainly up in, you've gone up in the world. But at this point, I was married to Marcus and he, I guess, was a bit more of a risk taker. And some of that, I think, rubbed off onto me. And, you know, I had been saying, obviously, I just, I don't know, I don't really love it anymore. And I've always wanted to work in TV, but, you know, kind of mum and dad had sort of talked me out of it. And he planted a seed in me. And as he now says, he created a monster because I now (laughs) am like obsessed with risk and challenge. And and like, but he 100% just fed me this first tidbit, which was just... You never want to die wondering. Love it. And it was like a light bulb just went off for me. And I just thought, yeah, I don't. I actually don't. I, I am going to to leave. and And it was crazy. And look, at that point, I was in my early thirties and you know, everyone at that stage is buying houses and having kids and doing all the, the sensible things you're supposed to do. And here I was, literally I was throwing away a, a career that I'd worked a decade to, to get to and to do. And I was like, I'm going to go work in television and every literally everybody looked at me like I was insane, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it. There's no question
0: what a great testament to to just being surrounded by the right people even if it's not necessarily your partner having people in your corner that are like just do it take the risk
1: and I think it's funny because people were like oh yeah yeah that's great but then what started to happen was people were like you're mad because it's sort of like deciding you're going to become I don't know an Olympic athlete or a ballerina or something it's like well do you have any contacts in tv it's like no and have you studied journalism not yet and do you uh have you ever done this before no like so I literally had nothing going for me other than I wanted it and the longer i think it took for me to get a job in tv the more the crazier people thought i was and but in a way i didn't care i didn't sort of need their approval and i didn't want their approval i had decided it was something i would do and i was like i'm just going to keep going there's only one way to get to where you want to go and that's by keeping on going if i stop I'm guaranteed I'm not going to get there. But if I keep going, I might not exactly have all the steps mapped out, but I don't need to have all the steps mapped out. I just got to get the next step mapped out. And from there I'll work out what to do as I go. And it took me a few years, but, and, and like literally, I think everyone at some point tried to talk me out of it, but I just, I wouldn't hear of it. And that really cemented for me,
0: self-belief and not needing anyone else's
1: approval I didn't need it and I didn't want it
0: so you you obviously wanted a career where you could talk you'd loved television I, I can relate <laughs> what was it specifically though all of this in mind what was it specifically about television that was of interest to you because there are plenty of jobs where you can talk to people but what was it about that
1: um do you know, I think I, I suspect, and I've often said this is I, as a young, um, in my kind of childhood, I got bullied a lot for being dark and I suspect that part of me was trying to make good on that. That's what, if I was, you know, if I was to like, think of course I could have had it. I could have been a real estate agent. They talk all day too. You know, I could have done any one of a number of things, but I suspect deep down, there's a part of you, or for me, a part of me that was like, No, but see, I've made it now. Because for us, you know, growing up, TV was the holy grail. This is pre internet, pre Instagram, pre any of these things. And TV is the be all and end all, it's the mm-hmm. unachievable. Yeah. And I think for me, it was, I had never been overly academic. I was never overly sporty. I was never overly anything at, at school. I was a very average, you know, I kind of just tried to keep my head down and just tried for the whole thing to get through the whole thing with minimum fuss. So I I suspect deep down i just wanted this thing that was so ridiculously unattainable and once i started to go you know what i'm going to actually i'm going to do this not for anyone other than for myself and and that
0: really set the course and changed the course of my life you mentioned this before but you've said it took you know 3 or 4 years to land a job in television everyone mm. is thinking you're crazy you know, as more time passes, you said you wanted it. I mean, the power of wanting something is massive. But yes. how did you, I mean, it's, it's such a competitive industry and with that obviously comes a lot of rejection. So how did you emotionally reconcile that? How did you maintain that resilience? It's a good question. You know, I think
1: possibly in my favor was I was a bit older so I wasn't 20 I wasn't kind of unsure of myself I was a little bit older and I think that probably worked for me so whilst it worked against me in many ways people are like oh my god you're way too old to be starting in television so there was a lot of that but what I think that gave me was I I kind of didn't care you know, so I was a bit sturdier on the rejection and, and there was plenty of rejection, obviously. And also, I remember I was just saying this to um, my daughter the other day, we were talking about something and I said, you know, I remember doing this particular kind of TV course and there was another girl in the course and our teacher was like, oh, Nikki is the best. Nikki's the only person in this class who's going to make it. And then he, he pulled me aside and he was like, Sally, you like... will probably never get a job in television and I just yeah I know there was a lot of there's a lot of that look it's 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 not for the faint-hearted tv because it really like people you know like like a lot of these industries you know people will 100% are not afraid to let you know that um they think you're crap and they think you're terrible and they think you're hopeless people are not backwards in coming forwards Um, But for me, it was like, I couldn't hear anything. I just was in this bubble where I was like, this is just one person's opinion and your opinion. Actually, you're not in charge of television. You know, you are just one person and you don't control all of television. So guess what? That's just what you think. And In a way, I think that helped me because when you're getting praised on and it's like, Nikki, you're going to make it. You're a natural star. You're this. What ended up happening, I think, was a lot of those people didn't try as hard because they were like, well, everyone's just telling them it's just going to land in their lap. And, And if there's one thing about life, whether it's, you know, business or television or anything, nothing lands in your lap. Nothing. No one's falling ass backwards into, you know, the best thing that's ever happened to them. So you have to work for it. And that was actually, I think, uh, like, I don't think he was doing me a favor. I think he was trying to say to me, like, you should just tap out now. Like I'm, he thought he was telling me a favor by saying like, listen, you've got to leave, but actually did me a favor by really reminding me every time. Do I want this? Do I want this? Do I want this? Cause if
0: I want it, no, one's going to hand it to me. I've got to keep going. So it was good. I like, I mean, a normally constructive criticism. That doesn't sound particularly constructive. It just sounds like <laughs> straight up criticism, but it does, you know, light a bit of a fire.
1: It does. And it also makes you, because if you don't really want it, you'll, you'll go, yeah, you know what, this is too hard. And a lot mm-hmm. of people do step away. You know, um, my sister Maha used to use this analogy with me and it's like when you'd line up in the old days, you know, outside a nightclub to get in and everyone's lining up and a lot of people can't be bothered waiting. So they just exit the line. And every time someone exits the line, guess what? You move forward in the line. And sometimes
0: you just have to stay in the line. You just got to stay there. That's a great analogy. Depends how good the nightclub is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> how badly do you want to be in there? That's right. How much do you want to boogie? <laughs> so you obviously did land a role in television and over the span of your television career, you conducted something to the tune of 200-plus celebrity interviews. Beyonce, Justin Timberlake, Angelina Jolie, Will Ferrell. I could go on. It's not beauty-related, but it would be remiss of me not to ask, are there any career highlights from that time that have really stuck with you?
1: Do you know what? Um, Look, it was was the job of a lifetime and I did it for about eight years and I loved every single second and every single day of that job. And What whilst on the outside the part that people love is the Beyoncés and the Rihanna's and the and the Mark Wahlbergs. But what that job taught me, which I still carry with me and I use every single day, is two things. One, the hustle. That was a Mm. super ultra competitive job. So those interviews don't just get you don't just sort of sit at your desk and someone says, Oh, guess what? Beyoncé's on for you next week. You fought tooth and nail Mm. and you were competing against every other network and we competed, you know. within our own networks against other shows Mm. to to secure exclusives. They're all exclusives. It's not um, for every sort of interview that, you know, is like, Hey, everyone can do this person. The ones that you really want are the ones that no one else has. And you, the hustle and the um, just thinking and strategizing, thinking and strategizing about how you're going to get stuff and how you're going to land these interviews has stayed with me. It was Invaluable. So that was, I think, the biggest thing that I learned in that job. That still to this day, you know, I'll often say to Maha, you know, when I was at TT, we would do blah, blah, blah. And that's great experience that, you know, it's very hard to get. Um, But in terms of who still, I think, look, Beyonce is a queen, right? Like, she really, like, Beyonce Taylor, for me, it's, I think, it's the Chicks, Beyonce Taylor Swift, and probably, could say Rihanna, maybe. Ah, oh, look, they—they all—they were, they were gets. You know, mm. they really were gets, and they probably Taylor Swift. Because my two daughters only think I'm cool now because I told them once I met Taylor Swift, and they were like, "Oh, okay, now you're
0: okay to be our mum." If mom, that's we'll- what gets you <laughs> over the line, that's not bad. You have to use everything you have. <laughs> <laughs> A sharp change of pace, obviously, as we get to 2011. You were 40 weeks pregnant with your first child and you were diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. Gave birth the next day, began chemotherapy a week later. I genuinely do not know where to begin with this, but what can you tell me about that time?
1: Um. Look, I, it was... Um... To say it was unexpected is an understatement. I was, you know, very healthy. I have no history of cancer in my family. I was, had a dream run of a pregnancy, had a great pregnancy, loved it, was really kind of well. And there was nothing to sort of, that led me to think that this was going to happen for me. And um, so so it was a massive, it was a huge shock. And I think, you know, what made it worse was the severity of the cancer. And, and um, you know, when you hear things like, you know, you, you might not make it and you're you're pregnant or you're holding a baby. That's like a few days old. It's quite a, I mean, it's sickening to say the least. And it was a very, um, I mean, I'm here, so I live to tell the tale. So I am incredibly fortunate not a day goes by when I don't feel like I got kissed by the universe and, and literally I've already won the lotto you know mm-hmm. so like I feel like I've used up all the good luck there was set aside for me I used it all then it was so like I I can't believe I'm here so that I'm very grateful for that but it was a shit time it was so because when you're going through it you don't know the outcome. so It's not like, mm. Oh, please do all this horrendous chemo that will literally bring you to your knees, but at least, you know, you're going to get through. It's like, you're doing all this stuff and you don't know. And, and it's a terrible thing. I think to live with this. Um, it, 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 it's sort of like you're living with this thing where you every day, you don't know if this is actually your last day, you know, yeah. so you'll, I remember the seat. I remember being acutely aware of the seasons, you know, and so it was like um, spring and I remember rolling into summer and I was really sick from the chemo. And I remember thinking, I wonder if this will be my last summer. Like I will never like, you know, and the sounds of people like barbecuing and having friends over in like, you know, other houses and stuff. And you can hear them kind of, you know, wafting through the neighborhood. And I was like, My God, maybe I've already had my last barbecue, and I didn't know that that was my last one. And and so everything becomes very heavy. So it's not just about going to treatment; it's about basically, is is this my last? This, that, the other. Have I? Have I? You know. And then then you sort of you're torn in this scenario of really needing to keep your strength so that you can push through and give yourself everything you can mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually, so that you can. Live, you know, you want to get through this so that you survive. But then, part of you also has to accept that you might not survive. So then, you're like, you know, so I was torn every single day in a million pieces between: Will I live to see my child get to one? If I don't, should I write her a letter for every every year? Do I not do that because I don't want to fall into the hole? Like it was a really, Mm. it was so complex and so tough and so shit. Um, And it, it changed. It, it also changed my life. Like it, as, as an experience like that, um, you know, does because you then view everything now through that lens, everything, you know, you realize how lucky you are to live and you don't take anything for granted, casual things that you'd say, like, I'm five years, I'll go to Italy you actually go, well, I might not be here in five years. So you really become aware of how lucky you are every day above the, you know, above the ground, how lucky you are to have that day. But you are also deeply aware of what it is like to be sick and what it is like to be well. And you never forget that horrendous feeling of sickness. It stays with you.
0: Well, on how it changed your life, I was going to ask what that changed mentally for you, but I guess that's it, that sort of renewed sense of, gratitude, but also just the weight of it.
1: Yes, gratitude without a doubt, resilience as well. Mm. I think because, you know, um, no one, you know, I, I say this sometimes like, no one, there's no, like, no one will make you do the chemo. No one's coming to your house and is going to mm. say, please come and come. We're going to drag you here to inject this poison into you. And many times they were like, I was so unwell because I was getting this old kind of form of chemo because I had a, one of the rarer forms of cancer. And many times they're like, if it's too much for you, you can tap out now. So it's like, you have to opt in, you have to opt in to have that poison filled into you and keep going and no one's going to do it for you. So you've got all the support in the world. Everyone's in your corner. Everyone's doing everything they can to help you, but ultimately only you can get in the ring. And I think I started to think about that a lot. It was like this, like a boxing analogy. It's like, I've got to get in, I'm going to get beaten to a pulp but I have to keep going and everyone's on the outside, but no one can do it for you. And it's not dissimilar. It's it's obviously much worse, but it reminded me of trying to get into TV. Everyone Mm -hmm. can be on the outside saying, yeah, you can do it. But ultimately no one can go through the hardship of no money and, and, and rejection every day and blah, blah, blah. No one can do it for you, but you. And I think that that then I really was like, there's, it's on me. It's on me and i got to do it, you know. Um, so it also forces you to tap into your strength, some of which sometimes I think you don't know you've got until you're forced to use it.
0: Whew. Sorry, no. that was a lot, wasn't it? No, I? oh, my God, do not apologise. Thank you for being so open and honest. Am I right in saying that you were still in the hospital when you called your sister and had started to think about starting a business together
1: yeah I was I was only maybe um, I think I'd had my first sort of surgery I might have finished my chemo I think and um, I think sometimes part of when you're going through something like that is you start to really evaluate like if I live what do I want to do with my life? You know, you really start to understand that you're not here for forever. And I was like, well, if I live, what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to TV? How do I feel about that? And I was like, yeah, I, I do. I still love it, but I wanted to do something else. And I really did feel like I was the beneficiary of a lot of love and goodwill. And that was not something I took for granted. And I wanted some way to create something where I could give back. And I had already always, you know, like I said to you, I was always healthy. I'd always loved kind of obviously wellness and I was healthy. And when I was going through treatment, I was so sick. And I rang Maha and I was like, you know, why don't we why don't we do like a blog? Blogs were sort of new then. And I was like, we've always loved wellness. You know, we've loved beauty. We've loved kind of lifestyle things. I said, we've got access to all these amazing experts, you know, cause I've worked in TV for so long. We could start a blog and we could share what we know rather than, you know, you telling me and I t- I'm telling you, and we're just keeping it to ourselves. We could kind of, you know, create this, this content platform and give back in that way. And, th- and then she said to me, are you, are you in the hospital still? And I was like, yes. She's like, are you high on the medication? She's very like, much. You so. should, yeah. I was like, I might be. I might be. But I think this is a good idea. And I really, part of me, I guess, I wanted something to look forward to, you know, something outside. But I think that's sort of in my nature. And we were talking about this, her and I, the other day, about how crazy that period of time was after my treatment and after I'd sort of finished. And I said, I think I was also when you've had near death, you want to have as much life as possible Mm. afterwards. You, you know, I really wanted to build and create and, and, and be a part of something and, and, and give back something, you know? So it was a big driver for me and she was very much like, listen, why don't you just finish treatment? Let's just get you to the other side of this and see what happens. I think she was basically saying, let's see if you live first before I do Mm. anything with you and then we'll, we'll take it from there. But pretty much as soon as my treatment was finished, we were on.
0: So Swish began as a blog in October 2012 and by 2015 it had become an e-commerce platform. What prompted that move?
1: We had been, so the, the big kind of driver was we launched a book. It was called Super Green Smoothies. Yes. And um, so that kind of happened very, very organically. I was had obviously finished all my treatment and my body was a shell of its former self. I'd obviously, it had been ruined. I um, had put on an enormous amount of weight from the chemotherapy. I was very bloated. I was very inflamed. I, I was really un. Like technically I was well, you know, by kind of Mm. hospital standards, I had survived. So that was a win, but I was unwell. I had no strength. I was, um, I definitely had some earlier osteo from the chemo and all this kind of stuff was happening. And I was like, I need to rebuild my body. I'm literally starting from the ground up. And at that stage, green smoothies were unheard of. No one, that was not something anyone did and I was making them and I was, I felt Unbelievable, and so I was making them then for Maha, and I would drop them off to her house. And I said to her, "You have to do this." I said, "I feel so good," but I was like, "Maybe it's just me. I'm coming off a very low base. It's probably just me." You have them, so then she was having them, and she was. She's like, "Oh my god, I feel great!" And our skin was better, and you know, like we just were were really feeling energized. So we were making them every day for each other, and people were saying, "Like, what are you having? And what are you drinking? And what are you doing?" And I was like, "We're doing these." green smoothies like we're blending kale and celery and like all this stuff together and so I said you know Tamaha like there's a book in this because people are asking and I'm tired of writing post-it notes to people at work about like recipes so why don't we make a book And now I had already written a a best-selling memoir with a book publisher and so I went to them and said listen I would love to do this green smoothie book I think it's a thing and people keep asking me about it and they were like absolutely not we've never heard of that no one wants to do it and I was like What? That's crazy. So then I asked my agent, I was like, can you see if any other publisher wants to do this? This is such a great book, such a great idea. And every publisher in the country was like, "No, no, definitely, oh absolutely, no." And so I said to Maha, so this is where these things that you go through earlier start to to pay their their dividends." I was like, "I don't care. I don't care if everyone says no. That's irrelevant to me. We will do this. Let's do it as an ebook. That's so easy." So we wrote all the recipes. We hired a photographer. We shot it all. We styled it. And we put it up on iTunes and it was funny. Even when we put it up on iTunes, all these publishers were like, well, it should be free. You better give it away. No one will buy it. And maybe make it 99 cents. And we were like 99 cents. We just made a book. It's going to be $14 or 14 or whatever. Which is anyway, still cheap. For still a book. cheap. Correct. It had all the recipes and anyways, and it was beautifully shot and, um, and it went to number one overnight. Mm. And then they came back and were like, oh, that's so weird. Who, what, what wow, <laughs> what, what? <laughs> so they published it. But again, with this caveat of like, it's a very small run and we think it's a, a passing fad and not anything anyone will do. So of course, then the book has since been republished something like, I don't know, 20 times. It's mm. still the number one book in its category. And green smoothies are now like, it's like saying, Vegemite on toast, like it's so common, everyone knows what one is. But that was cutting edge then, and that is ultimately what led to the launch of the e um, the e commerce site. When the book was being published, I said to Maha, "Well, the book's out. Why don't we set up an e commerce site on our um on this on the site, and we can sell the book and we can sell some accessories that go with smoothies." And we had kind of started saying like behind the scenes her and I were like green powder if you can get all of this from a green smoothie imagine if you could make a green powder that actually tasted good there was only about two on the market and they tasted terrible so we were like let's take our knowledge of smoothies and how to make them taste amazing by getting with with the right kind of mix of vitamins and you know minerals and stuff and actually turn that into a green powder. So we launched the book first and then we then we started going okay, let's expand this further and go into
0: wellness. So how did you then go about physically developing and launching your own product? It's one thing to have the idea but then to find a manufacturer, settle on the product itself, even sourcing the packaging. How did you physically go about it?
1: It's funny, it was it took us
0: 2 years and
1: in the beginning Things take so long because you're so new mm. and you're so green and you're so um, now we're a lot more experienced and we know, obviously, when you've got a few more years under your belt, you know what to do. But that first Super Greens took us two years and it took us a really long time. And I don't regret that, even though I found the process at times incredibly frustrating. But we also knew, you know, Maha has this saying, do it once, do it right. You know, and that just means no shortcuts. So you don't, you in, in an attempt to rush something to market, produce something that you don't really stand by just to get it out there. So we formulated and formulated. We don't white label anything. We make and formulate every single product of ours from scratch. So we basically started in the very beginning with just going, okay, what do we, what are the key kind of ingredients that we know you need to get in there? And obviously it was all greens to begin with. And then it's like, okay, now what do I need to add in? And then you go through this process of trying to find the manufacturer that's right for you. And I honestly think it's like dating, you know, it's a bit like, you know, you, you'll you meet with a manufacturer and you'll be like, mm, you're like, we're not vibing each other. Or you meet with a manufacturer who's too slow or who can't kind of source, you know, key ingredients that you really need. So you, there's a lot of kind of... Um, rejection actually on both sides sometimes the the manufacturer will reject you and they'll say your production run you know particularly in the beginning our production run was a bit smaller it's like no your production runs are too small so it it took a long time and there's a lot of back and forth but i think any like if you want something again back to that same point anything's achievable if you want it enough
0: it shows as well how important it is to have a really clear idea of what you want to do from the outset as well because so many people would have a pretty vague idea and then they would go to the manufacturer and the manufacturer says oh well that's going to be too hard but what we can do instead is this 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 to make it cheaper or easier or whatever that may be and if you don't have a really like solid foundation in the first place naturally you're going to say oh yeah okay well we'll just do that then.
1: And that is so spot on because what happens is you've got to think that manufacturer is also running their own business. So they're going great. I've already got, x ingredient i've already got y ingredient i've already got Z. I know that the costings of those is you know whatever i know what margin i can put on so you've got to understand everyone's in a business they're in a business you're in a business and it's like if you're not clear you're literally going to end up with a product that's the same as everybody else's and that's why a lot of people end up white labeling and it's like well now Mm. there's nothing to differentiate all of these products so yeah have a very clear
0: idea of what it is you're trying to do and what you want in there If research serves me, there's now upwards of 12 inner health sort of ingestible beauty products within the Swish portfolio. How does that product development process work for yourself and Maha now? Are you constantly thinking about what you're going to develop next? Are you working off consumer demand? Is it a bit of both?
1: Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit of both. Definitely consumer demand is a big one. You know, our community is not shy in letting us know what they want and that's good. We that's like great. that. A lot of things have been formulated for them specifically. There were things that they wanted. Um, sometimes things selfishly can come from us, you know, so sleep, um, the sleep powder was one definitely that I had my, like I put my hand up and I was like, I... I'm really struggling at the back end of the day. The mental load is too much. I really find it very difficult to switch off. I find it difficult to sleep. And, you know, sleep is such a big factor. If you want to wake up well, you need to sleep well. It actually, like a great day actually starts the night before, you know. So sleep is the cornerstone of so much, like your hormones being in check, having enough energy, you know, trying to fight off sugar cravings. All of that starts with sleep. So for me, that that was kind of selfishly for me. We certainly know like fiber, our gut cleansing powder was a big one from our community. They wanted immunity. So a lot of those are driven by them. Collagen, for example, though, was driven by us and we were really early in collagen, um, maybe like about, I want to say, Four, four to five years ago we launched collagen so back when there was only one other person in the market really doing collagen and we had to educate our customer she didn't know what collagen was we had to explain here's what it is here's why you use it here's why you need it here's when you need it here's how often you take it and that's also our job our job is not just to formulate products and 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 sell them our job is actually to educate and explain to you Here's why you need a super greens. Here's actually what happens when you have collagen. Here's how long it takes to work, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think that's really important and that's the part of the job that we love.
0: At what point did Swish Beauty enter the picture? What gap in the market were you looking to fill there?
1: So Swish Beauty came along probably... Uh, I want to say maybe two to three, maybe two years after we launched wellness. Mm -hmm. And there was a couple of things happening. One was around, like, we were basically seeing so many incredible ingredients that we knew were great for people. Some were for the inside and some were for the outside. And we're like, well, in the same way we're explaining to you about why you need collagen, we also want to put niacinamide in a face mask and explain to you why you need that. You know so i think it was that kind of thing about let's make sure that we don't just leave stuff on the outside uh, on the inside only we forget about the outside and then the other thing was we all about kind of 24 hour 24 hour skincare 24 hour wellness so it's like what do you need in the morning what do you need at night what do you need during the day so it's like making sure we cover those bases and our thing is also like, we want you to feel amazing inside and out. And part of that out is skincare. And skincare is such a, I think, beauty. Like I was saying before, like my mum did that beauty for herself because it made her feel good. There's such a connection, I think, between the inside and the outside. Feel good on the inside, you'll feel good on the outside. Feel good on the outside, you feel better on the inside. They,
0: they both work. I love that. It's full circle to that first memory of beauty. Totally. So Swish now ships to over 70 countries worldwide, which is insane. I've got a couple of questions on this. Firstly, have you noticed any differences in the shopping habits of customers from different regions? Are there any major differences in the way that people are approaching beauty and wellness from country to country?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think what's really interesting is our American consumer is a really early adopter. Like, mm-hmm. she's really, like, she gets on, you know, um, she loves a, a new, you know. If it's new, she definitely is into it. And I think the other thing is, like, then if you compare that, say, to Europe, like, we've got a large... Um, customer base in france so they are very big on collagen ingestibles they've been having that kind of stuff for a long time so whereas for us it was all very new these guys are already like we found they have that very regularly they know how to incorporate wellness into their beauty routine so that i think was really interesting um Asia, obviously, as they're there, they are also obsessed with collagen. Mm. So that, you know, was a very, there was less explaining to do for them because it's something they already have had in their culture and they know about. So I think that's really interesting, but I think like, ultimately most people are the same in the sense that if they're not sure what something is, they need to understand how it works, why it works. You know, not everyone, um, has the same desire to understand the science behind things as much like some people are some people you know they want to read all the heavy content they want that science information which is why we provide it some people just want to see you know just top line you know so our job is to make sure that we factor all of that in if you want just the top line headlines of what this is going to do and why you need it we have that but if you want to really delve in we also provide that. And that's also, I think a really important part, like some, and this is irrelevant of country. It's just different types of people. Some people are real kind of information. I don't know if nerd is the right word, but they're hungry for it. And that's Mm. a great thing. And I think that's something that has changed in the last five years, definitely maybe a teeny bit more where we've become a lot more educated around what ingredients are and people want to know stuff. People are savvy, aren't they?
0: And that's great. Yeah, it's not enough to just say this is a great product. Like they yeah. want to know why.
1: And I think that is a brilliant thing. That's why I think one of the biggest changes in both skincare and wellness in the last definitely five years. People, you know, I remember when we did um, – Maybe it was hyaluronic acid, you know, and we we're talking about that. And people are like, "Oh, that sounds really bad." Or oh, I don't know, you know, what's that nice Is that is that a is that a paraben? That sounds really is that, is that something toxic? I don't know if I should have that. Whereas now, and and I love this that people are becoming more educated. They want to know what's in their skincare. They want to know what's in their wellness. They want to know where ingredients are sourced from, and that's
0: important. Good. It makes me happy. You've given me a nice segue while we're on that community because that is one thing that really stands out to me about Swish is that community of Swish consumers. This is a pretty broad question, but what do you think it is about what you and your sister are doing that is resonating with so many people all over the world?
1: Well, I think it's because we are like we're real people, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's the, like and 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 you know pretty much like you'll you you what you see is what you get and I think the thing is is we are very much your um we're like that that friend in your group that cool friend in your group who has all the information Like she's the person you like wondering about like do I need a collagen under eye mask that's who I'll ask she'll know you just know she knows you know so she's She's, but she's not judgmental when you ring her to ask because she's not going to be like, oh, you're such an idiot for not knowing this. Like, So you feel completely safe to say, I don't know what this is. And you know that she's going to show you, share with you, tell you. So that's our big thing. We show and we share, you know. We're not here to sell you. We're not here to tell you. We show and we share. That's the very ethos of what we do, you know. And I think that that sort of um, we're not intimidating, you know, we're here to help you want it terrific you don't want it that's no
0: problem either
1: you know and I think that's why it's um it's resonated and
0: it's grown so much having had a multitude of very successful careers already I would love to know what advice you have to offer anyone who might be looking to start their own business or who might be looking to make a career change in pursuit of their dream job
1: I I honestly think just do it i really do i think you you have to do it and i think you don't need all the answers i think that's a big one i think as women sometimes we feel like we have to have all the answers you've got to have the next five years mapped out and there's actually no way to map out the next five years because you have you you can't predict the the twists and turns you know and i think that's true whether it's for you know a dream career or a business so you just have to i think map out your next one slash two steps, like where could you go And then you'll just work it out as you go. If you think of it as a road trip and you kind of roughly know you want to drive from, you know, Sydney to Melbourne, you roughly know you want to drive from LA to San Fran and you're like, okay, I know where my first petrol stop might be. And then I'll just sort of see what happens because you can't tell and you can end up wasting, I think a lot of time mapping out a five-year business plan and a 10-year business plan. So I think that part is unnecessary. You just need to kind of have a rough idea And jump in, but I would say factor in that things will take longer than you think. I think that's and as somebody who's incredibly impatient, that has been a real tough learning lesson for me. You know, like things just do take longer than you think because a lot of things are out of your control. You're working with other people, and not everyone works to your speed or your pace or you know what you want. There's a lot of elements that go into things, so things do take longer. So if you have to factor that in in terms of salaries and jobs and and money because
0: we've all still got bills to pay. Mm. So you have to factor that in. God, thank you for touching on the fact that spending too long on a five-year plan can be a time waster. I'm such a big believer that as long as you're doing good work day to day, then yes. you, you're pretty set. Correct. And I think that's important. I think you can spend
1: too long. That's really just procrastinating in yeah. a way because you can't you – can't, I could never have predicted – um, the things that have gone wrong and things do go Mm. wrong. So I think that's the other thing. Know that things will go wrong. Please be 100% assured. It doesn't matter what business plan you've made. Shit is going to go wrong. It definitely is. And it'll be stuff that you couldn't have known. You couldn't have prepared for. And every stage,
0: something will go wrong. It just does. And that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) You just got to take it day by day.
1: Yep. Totally
0: simple as that now you have been a part of the beauty and wellness industry really since you launched Switch in 2012 over we've kind of touched on this already but let's say over the last couple of years what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry
1: I think definitely, like I was saying, consumers having a, a better understanding of ingredients is yeah. a very big factor. I think also consumers having a, a better um, understanding of the connection between inside and outside. I yeah. think before there was a real disparity. There was like wellness over here and then beauty over here. And I think typically people thought of beauty as makeup and then sure a night cream or um you know like maybe one little serum if you were kind of like cutting edge or whatever whereas I think now people really understand like if you want your skin to glow you need to feed it from the inside and from the outside if you want your skin to look good you need to make sure you look after your gut health plus your skin on the outside if you want your hair to look healthy you have to feed your body on the inside plus your hair on the outside so I think that kind of complete crossover has been a huge shift in consumer understanding even in the last three years Mm -hmm. I think it's a very short space of time and that is a excellent I think that is a really great thing because now people aren't seeing them separately like you understand that
0: you actually need to do them together if you want results and what changes do you think we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years
1: Do you know, I think people will, I think for as much as we have come a very long way around active ingredients and and understanding that, I think this still has a very long way to go. I think we're only still, I think we're still at the, what I would call collagen four years ago. You know, it's only, if you look at the pyramid, it's just very much at the top still, it still has a long way to filter down. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, college and now people understand, like most people be like, I'm either having it or I've heard of it and I know what it is. You know, so I think that's good. I think we still have a long way to go with that in skincare. So yes, people go, oh, a serum. Yes, I have one. I know of one or whatever. But people are not still completely understanding. People still ask every day, what steps do I do things in? You know, do I do the retinol at the same day as the vitamin C? I'm super confused. Do I do what, you know, so that I think having that very much clearer understanding around okay, here's the order in which
0: I do them and it being very sort of commonplace is what we'll start to see in the next few years. My final question, what is next for Swish?
1: We have, um, basically we're launching into TGA approved supplements. So that is next for us Ooh. in the very, very, very short term. So um, yeah, starting, we'll start rolling those out. We worked a lot in the last couple of years. They obviously are incredibly um they take a long time to formulate.
0: Mm. If, I,
1: if I thought green powder took a long time to formulate, supplements take a long time to formulate. But it has been incredibly worthwhile. And it, again, it's what our, our community wants for us and it's what we see as going next. So you need, you know, it's all about supplements in addition to powders and, and that's the next step for us. So we're very excited for that.
0: That was Sally Obermeter, co-founder of Swish, who you can find on Instagram at Sally Obermeter at swish by Sally O and at swish wellness to read this interview you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news you can find me on instagram at jemk watts or at glow.journal if you liked this episode please do not forget to subscribe rate review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us i'm Gemma watts you've been listening to the glow journal podcast and thank you for joining me